Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Here we are the day before the BYU-Utah football game. It is almost here. 100 days to the rivalry game. we got one left. We've been counting them down. If you've been with us at uh, 7.50 every morning, we're doing that. Uh, we got a lot of rivalry talk for you uh, this hour. We're going to start it off with BYU. We're going to start it off with Zane Anderson. You're going to hear from the Cougar here in just a minute. For you Ute fans, we've got uh, Chris Camrani coming up and Lincoln Kennedy from the Pac-12 Network. But we begin with Zane Anderson, the Cougar, on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I'm ready to get on the field, so I can't wait. It's been a long offseason. It's been a long year, so just excited, man. How do you control those emotions, though? Because, I mean, you get out there and sometimes the adrenaline gets going. I mean, you're experienced, so you've been through it. But just, you know, sometimes it can be tough to rein it in, even for an experienced guy. Yeah. Um, I think, especially with a game like this, um, it's all keeping about the same energy um, and kind of knowing when to keep that energy. And um, So it's, just, it's a game of emotions, especially these kind of games. And so it's really kind of channeling those in and um, taking it in. Could you put into words what it would mean for you and the rest of the seniors to end this streak? Oh, it means so much. Um, right now, we're trying not to really look back at this. Um, like Kalani says, we weren't even part of this streak eight years ago. and so. Um, but for me as a senior, you know, it, it really is important. And um, we want to get these guys. It's a unique opportunity, and we're really excited. You guys have been breaking the huddle with B-Utah. There's signage on the practice store, say B-Utah. What's kind of fueled that and inspired that, that, that verbiage? Um, just kind of what happened last year. It was, it was a devastating loss. Um, and we, that's just been our focus in the back of our minds through every training, every, every session. I mean, I'm sure that's what everyone's saying and stuff. When they, but we went to the bowl game, and I feel like we kind of showed what kind of team we are after that, after that loss, and we've carried that the offseason. And so, um, yeah, in the back of our minds, it's been in the back of our minds all, all offseason. You missed last year's game with an injury. You had to sit there and watch. Has that made you hungrier as you approach this game this year? Definitely. Um, I had to watch my boys go out like that, and um, it was frustrating. Um, sitting on the sideline, knowing you can't do anything about what's going on, and and so, but I just knew in the back of my mind that I was going to get a chance in August, and so I was excited back then, and I've kind of carried that hunger with the chip on my shoulder throughout this off season. How tough was it having gone out after those four games last year, and then having to sit out all that time, and now finally getting a chance to play again? It was rough, man. I think uh, you know, coming in as a senior, you have high expectations about your season, and. Um, I was last year was my first year at that linebacker position, and I was finally getting the hang of it, and thought I was playing pretty well, and you know it just kind of got cut short, and so, but things like that happen, and um, you just got to have like a good focus and a good support system, which I did, and um, just knowing, and just really blessed that I could have a second chance here, and as a senior, and um, being back with all my guys, it's uh, it's a, been a great opportunity. I'm just excited. Since your last appearance in that Utah State game, how do you, what areas do you feel like you've grown as a player? Um, um, going into this season? Um, I think my mental game has gone up a lot. Um, that's something I could do in offseason. You know, you're limited in stuff, some stuff after surgery, and so that's something I took focus on. And then as a leader, I think I've stepped up a lot this year um, on and off the field, um, just kind of being an example to the guys and um, really rallying everyone together. You guys have traditionally done pretty well, particularly defensively, in opening games. The, what's the key to being able to maintain that and continue to, to do so well in that season opener? Um, yeah, it really is just always being ready. Um, that's something we're putting a really focus on this year is starting games fast and finishing them. Um, as you can see, last game last year, I think there were some games where we started off slow and it really hurt us in games. And 
there was games like Utah where we didn't finish. And so um, just starting with the gas on the pedal and not landing off is something we're really focusing on. Is there any particular aspects of the Utah offense that you're paying particular attention to right now? Um, I think they've got a lot of good threats. Um, they're a really good offense, and this new offensive coordinator has, has some really good schemes. And so, um, yeah, they are a really good offense, and but we're a really good defense. And so um, we're just excited for this opportunity to go get to an offense like that. Like Austin, you were you were an in-state guy. Did you grow up you know, like cheering for a certain team in this rivalry as a kid and, and growing up? Yeah, I did. I uh, I grew up on the other side actually, and uh, I don't know what was going through my mind back then. Um, I don't know if it was family or what, but um, you know, as time went on and um, recruiting came on, and this this is the place for me, and you know, I'm just happy with my decision. And but yeah, I mean, growing up in the state, this is this is huge, and so. Um, guys from out of state, I don't know if they know, but I think they've caught on about how big this game is and um, how big this rivalry is. Do you take it as as the ownership to like kind of put that message out there to those out of state guys? Say, hey, this, this is a big deal here. Definitely, definitely. I think um, with the coaches and with everyone, with everything kind of coming on this game, I think they're kind of getting how big this game is from media and from everything. And so I think they've kind of latched on to with all those new guys. You mentioned some of the difficulty of starting slow or not quite finishing a game. What are the keys for you guys in playing for all four, four quarters? Um, it really is just um, rallying together and executing our game plan and coming out um, with fresh, fresh legs um, and being able to play loose. Um, that's something that you kind of, especially with a game like this, you can't, you look at the, you know, they're 14th in the nation, whatever, that can kind of get in your head and stuff, but it's just, it's just a game, um, and everyone puts on the same pants. Everyone does the same thing. It doesn't matter who you're lining up against if you're going to execute the plan. And so I think it's just everyone getting everyone to their uh, – getting everyone loose and just playing how we play football, how we know how to play football, and get those nerves out early. You know, it's, that always kind of happens first game. And so, um, yeah, it'll be good. How do you feel like the inside linebackers who you're going to line up with, uh, how do you feel like they progress heading into this game? Um, really well. I'm really proud of those guys. I think um, – that was a big question before fall camp. You know, I, I knew we had some players there, but um, I don't know who was going to step up. And um, Keenan Peely started off playing a linebacker behind me. And um, I, just, I knew he was like, he needs to be on the field. Um, he's one of our best linebackers. And so we found a spot for him in my, my, my linebacker. And he's done an excellent job. And there's guys behind him, um, Payne Wilgar and Jackson Kafusi and Kavika Fanua. And they've all made huge strides. And so... I feel really comfortable with those guys right next to me. You mentioned Utah's number 14 ranking. You guys aren't ranked. I'm sure you guys don't live in a hole. You've heard all the hype that they're getting. Mm -hmm. What is your reaction to all the hype they're getting, and do you think that could play into your favor? Yeah. Um, like I said before, I mean, uh, they can deserve this hype. I mean, they've got really good players and um, some good coaches, but um, what a unique opportunity for us. Um, it doesn't matter what we're ranked. And it does, quite honestly, it doesn't matter what they're ranked. That just kind of, especially for this first game, you know, we haven't even played it down yet. And so um, what a unique opportunity, you know, being able to play a team like that. And with after this, our schedule is going to be like that all season. And so you can't really look at it with their top, top team in the nation. They're a really good team, but I think we're a really good team as well. And so. Are there any things that fall camp taught you about this team that you perhaps didn't know beforehand? Um, just how um, united we are, I think. I've never been on a team um, quite as close as this. Um, I think as a group as a whole, we really are really close. And I'm not just saying that. I've never been on a team that's been this close before. And I think that's going to carry on in the field. You know, when you're fighting for your brothers, 
and you've, you've trained with them all off season and you're that close with them you kind of have that bond I think it carries a long way you guys didn't go live a bunch during I mean at least we didn't you know it sounded like they limited the, the amount of live action mm-hmm. this is going to be a physical game it always is is that a concern at all that you didn't get that prep as far as actual live lots of hitting lots of tackling or is it just football so we're ready for it um I think it just kind of comes I think um there was there was some um hesitations and stuff with people like not letting them go and stuff but when that game one strikes you know there, there's a lot of guys that's played football before and so there's a lot of experience there and um it's you kind of flip a switch that all right let's let's get ready to rumble you're not going to get your teammate anymore you're going to get an opponent and so i think it's kind of a, uh, flipping a switch and uh like let's ride let's go there's BYU Zane Anderson. When we come back, Chris Camerani joins us from The Athletic covering the University of Utah. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK and Chris Camerani join us. Writes for The Athletic, covers the University of Utah, and he joins us right now in the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Chris, good morning. Good morning, guys. How we doing? Oh, we're doing all right. So Kyle Whittingham had his, uh, his first weekly press conference, which I think is because of the early Thursday game. That's going to be the last media availability, right? You're not going to talk to him again, are you? Uh, we will not be hearing from anybody at the U until the clock hits zero, probably sometime at 2 a.m. <laughs> Friday nice. morning. At 2 a.m. Oh, man. So uh, did you pick anything up? Did you find it particularly revealing with the ready-to-roll comment? Uh, I, I kind of thought Moss was going to play, but Covey, I wasn't as sure. He seemed pretty confident if you take it at face value. Do you take it at face value? Um. I think so. I, I was able to talk to Britton last week and kind of get a sense on where he was physically. And Britton's always an honest guy, and I'm sh- I don't know if the, the coaching staff necessarily loves that, but he said he had been dealing with some residual pain in his knee, but it, it had gone away. And I just think that's a byproduct of having a you know major surgery on a major part of your body. And, and Britton's a guy that's hasn't rushed back, but he's been eager to get back, and he's pushed the limits, and that's just kind of... Uh, a byproduct of, of what he has going on in him in, in terms of his rehab. So I, I would guess if I was, uh, if I was a fly on the wall, which I'm not, I would guess he's on a pitch count Thursday in Provo. That would be my guess. So what's this deal about nude water skiing? <laughs> you can't bury the lead PK. You taught me that. <laughs> um, so I did a I did a story on the athletic that just went up this morning about uh, kind of an oral history on Kyle Whittingham's playing days at BYU uh, in honor of this rivalry game. It's the hundredth rivalry game in the history of Utah BYU, and I personally had never heard stories of what Kyle was like as a player. I'd heard some secondhand stories, so I wanted to kind of go to the source and just uh, 
reach out to a bunch of guys from the glory days and luckily a lot of the guys got back to me and um i was able to talk to jim mcmahon for a few minutes and i'd heard that if you get jim on the phone you'll get some good stories and uh jim bless his heart he delivered and um was telling me stories of how kyle used to take fred's boat out on utah lake and jim would just be in the sunglasses water skiing and kyle would purposely veer the boat towards everyone else and as Jim says, quoted, we just give him a wave. Give him a wave. Now, that could be taken multiple ways. Could it? That's the point. Yes. Isn't and that you the intended point? it to be taken multiple ways. <laughs> well, well, Jim said it. I was just quoting him directly. You know, I'm just doing my journalistic integrity. Duty. I know you are. I understand. <laughs> I understand. You're, you're just the writer of the piece, so to speak. Yep. I, I'm just here so I don't get fired. That's what I say every day I show up. <laughs> so Visek Hammond the story says everybody's got a Kyle Whittingham story one of your favorites is um, as, as good as the Kyle driving uh, Jim McMahon nude around Utah Lake is good I think Vi's story about almost missing the Holiday Bowl in 1980 which turned out to be one of the kind of premier wins in program history was really was really hilarious because Vi was saying that back in the day you could choose not to take the team charter and you could get a, a stipend in order to get some money for for gas money for food money if you could catch a ride down to the bowl game and Vi basically struck out it was his freshman year and he didn't have a lot of clout within the team and he basically almost got left outside the Smithfield house and He was waiting there. Everybody had left. The plane had taken off. And here comes Kyle and Tom Holmo ready to uh, drive Tom's old Dodge. I think think I said it was a Charger. I'm not mistaken, but I'll have to go back through my notes. They're ready to drive down to uh, to San Diego. And Kyle and Tom are like, what are you doing here, man? And I said, I don't have a ride. I'm kind of screwed. And they said, ah, hop in with us. And they were seniors or they were juniors at the time. Um but it was hilarious to, to, to think that one of the most important kind of historic games in BYU history, a game that Vi ended up running a punt back for a touchdown in, almost didn't happen because he didn't even have a ride to uh, the Holiday Bowl. What I find interesting, Chris, is Kyle has a very complicated relationship now with BYU, but yet he has a very intense relationship with many of his former teammates who are very loyal to him and are stuck by him and he them. But yet the school, with the nature of the rivalry, is sort of fractured to an extent. Have you been able to find that out? Well, I, I think to your point, what people were willing to kind of talk about was just their personal one-on-one history with Kyle, and I think that goes to show – I mean. If Jim McMahon will just get back to a random no-name reporter within like a few hours after sending out an email, I think that goes to show that you know that the impact that Kyle had on not only the program and the school but his teammates, it, it went pretty far. And then this, this was kind of a theme that kind of continued throughout my week last week was just you know for <laughs> no pun intended throwing hail marys and and you know people getting back um, in terms of his relationship with the school. Nobody really got it. So I, I just. I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough. You go back to when you know Kyle was picking and choosing between Utah and BYU back in the day. He chose Utah. I know, you know, fans and some people were upset about that, but it was fascinating to just hear who Kyle was before the headset. And like I said, I'd heard stories of 
uh, how intense he was and how kind of no-nonsense he was. So in a sense, he's still that guy today. But just hearing stories of how he was kind of uh, one of Fred's uh, tentacles out on the field and just carrying out these, these, these uh, not hits, not saying Kyle was an assassin on the field, but just hearing some guys kind of describe the way Kyle was an extension of Fred on the field was also cool too. Chris Camerani joining us, Utah Utes writer for The Athletic. So you get all these quotes, and you are a deep thinker, and I don't say that to, to you know, make fun or all that. But I, <laughs> and I knew you'd do that. I knew you'd laugh right away. But I'm serious. Like, you think, and you think, what does that mean? And you think, what does that mean? And you think, well, what do I need to ask? Or what's the next story I can write off of this? So you hear these stories about Kyle back in the day, but it informs you what he's like as a coach. What do you think you know about him as a coach now because you heard all these stories from back in the day? So that's a great question. I've basically learned that Kyle is a slightly less intense version of Fred. I'd heard Fred's stories before, um, but I'd, with being able to hear how Fred and Kyle's relationship was as um, coach player, then you know you heard about how you know Kyle brought Fred on as the coach under his staff in the '90s at Utah. Um, they always said that you know Fred was kind of the peak. In the Whittingham Index, like Fred was number one, without a doubt, most intense, most intimidating. Um, then Kyle, I mean, even his siblings have told me he's like he's he's pretty close. But it's it's fascinating to see how with every coach where they pick up you know tendencies from who they've played for or who they've played with over the years. My guess for me, or not my guess, but learning from what I learned from this piece last week, it was definitely that Kyle is very much his father's son. Yeah, I can buy that for sure. That's his greatest influence. Uh, it's the only time I've ever seen him get choked up when I was in his office talking about his dad a few years after he passed. And so it's still a very – it was an intense relationship and, and to an extent still is. You know, one of the things about Kyle to the public is that he comes off as this real tough guy. And he's mellowed a little bit in terms of interviews, you know, and he and I, we like to go back and forth and jab each other. And that's made its way out into some uh, public domain, either through social media and TV. And I know you've seen it. And so you get another side of him. But I'm wondering if you've been able to, to see the side of the stuff that he does out there that is so much behind the scenes and it catches people off guard because he does stuff for people and i can speak to this personal experience of he'll do things for you and your family that you don't even necessarily know he's doing and i think we saw it a little bit uh, the other day when he starts his press conference with a tribute to brad rock no one right. told him to do that. He just decided to do that. You've been able to see that a little bit of what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I've definitely heard some some stories relayed my way. And to be honest, PK, that's definitely something that I would love to explore and, and write for the athletics. So I'm not necessarily going to uh, tip my hand too much on, on stories that I've heard because these are stories that I'd love to you know go to Kyle too and say, hey, man, like, Tell me what's going on. You're not this. You're not totally this scary, intense dude that rides his huffy bike back to the Eccles football complex after scrimmages at you know Rice Eccles. But um, to your point, yes, 
he does a lot, and I'm guessing he would love it to stay in the periphery yeah. and not in the forefront, no and that's just his personality. And I, and credit to him. Like like I said, I'll probably go to Kyle and say, hey, man, I want to talk to you about this, and he can say, nah. And then I'll say, okay. And that's just kind of part of my job. But also part of my job is, is kind of being able to peel back the curtain a little bit and go beyond the X's and O's. As much people love the X's and O's, trust me, I know. To me, I'm more fascinated about the the sports as a mechanism to who people are. Yeah, there's a million stories out there like that uh, that I could share that I've been I've been exposed to with this guy and the stuff he does on the side that nobody knows about. And what's ironic is that when I was a freshman in high school, I owned a Huffy bicycle. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> I think I, I think I had a Huffy when I was a kid, too. I think it was a little earlier than high school. So you hear all these stories, and there's funny stuff from his playing days, and there's, um, uh, there's the touching stuff he does now for people. And yet when he puts the headset on during a game, look out. Uh, yep. did, that, did that come through in all these stories, too? Um. Not, I mean, it was more just a, a focus on the playing days, so late '70s, early '80s. Um, but one of my one of the other favorite stories that I got was from Greg Peterson, who was a former defensive back. Um, he was the lone Canadian on that, U, that BYU team back in the day, and um, <clears throat> he said that at practice, the wide receivers would always get yappy and talk trash, go back and forth, and eventually, this this one wide receiver who he didn't name kind of just kept going, kept going, and Fred kept hearing it. So eventually Greg said that he saw Fred just kind of nod at Kyle during practice. And back then, practice was like a game. Like it was full on, full pads, knock the other guy out. So Fred looks at Kyle, Greg says, and the ball's hiked and this dude's coming across the middle on a crossing route. And he said just Kyle just levels him to the point where he decleats him basically and he's, his feet leave the ground, and he comes down on his back and gets the wind knocked out of him. And, and Greg Peterson looks over at Fred, and Fred just has this giant grin on his face. So it, it, it's not necessarily a headset story, but I could definitely see Kyle enjoying something along those lines now as a head coach. Hmm. You want headset stories, you need to tr- talk to Troy Taylor. He can give you a few. <laughs> Where is Troy these days? Is he in Sacramento? I love Sacramento. Sac State, yeah. They got the Devils in week two. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing Herm's not going to Sacramento. No. We're coming after you, Troy. Hey, Troy would never tell you those stories, but I heard them during the two years that uh, he was coaching under Kyle. That's for sure. <laughs> Chris Camarani joining us here, Utah Utes writer for The Athletic. Uh, do you have any uh, little bits of wisdom to pass along to Ute fans? Uh, you said you Ooh. know they love the X's and O's. Anything you can tell them about the rivalry game Thursday night? What are you, what are you watching for, the specific players, matchups, situations that intrigue you? Uh, I'm guessing I'm just going to say the whole game. No. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how – Andy Ludwig's offense looks the first few drives. I think that's the most one for me. I think Utah's defense is stacked and filled with future NFL talents all over the board, and those guys were in that game last year, and they're probably a little mad 
that Zach Wilson made them look bad for three quarters. For me, the story of this game is going to be how Utah's offense gets going in Andy's first game back. Kyle said yesterday they're they're a run first team and they have a they have a lot of good options at running back. I mean, even behind Zach, Devontae, Henry Cole, Jordan Wilmore, even Devin Brumfield, these are all dudes who are kind of from the same mold: small, stout, strong, fast. Um, so I'm fascinated to see. If Andy comes out and, and tries to push around that BYU defensive line, or does he mix it up and get Tyler comfortable with a few throws? Uh, we'll see. I, I also think it's going to be huge if if Britain isn't 100 percent and, and can't you know play the entire game to his full 100 percent capabilities. Uh, who steps up on the on the outside because they're going to need some wide receivers to make some big plays to open it up for the running game. I just found it fascinating that Lee Corso and Chris Camerani, two leading experts in college football, both picked the Utes to go to the playoff. Oh, did they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. They're. Uh, I've heard that they know their stuff. No, they I'm do. Gonna have to go on the, I'm gonna have to go on the athletics somewhere and see where Chris wrote about that. That's probably a pretty <laughs> red story. Well, I don't know if he actually wrote it. He just told oh, me okay. one day where we were killing oh, okay. time. Yeah, yeah was I thought maybe that was that was that on the record or off the record? I don't remember. Uh, somewhere in between. That's where I live my okay, life. Okay, in between. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the gray zone. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny line, and yet it's true. <laughs> Few people can master it the way PK has. I'll say that. There it is. All right, Chris, we appreciate a few minutes, as always, and then can uh, check out your story on the Athletic for all the stories about uh, Kyle from back in the day. Guys who knew him in the 70s. (laughs) Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. There's Chris Camerani from The Athletic covering the University of Utah. Hey, a reminder, don't take the bus tour at the airport parking lot. Diamond Airport Parking offers covered self-parking, covered valet parking, open valet parking, and free 24-7 car-to-curb shuttle service. Diamond Airport Parking since 1922, just off I-80 and Redwood Road. Park, ride, and save at Diamond Airport Parking. Stay with us. Coming up next... He works on the radio broadcast. He works for the Pac-12 network. Lincoln Kennedy is talking with PK and I next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined once again by Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Network Analyst, also working on the Oakland Radio, Oakland Raiders radio broadcast. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen, and happy Football New Year to you. <laughs> happy Football New Year to you. Now, this will shock you, but we have been, spent months asking people, how good are the youths going to be? Do you think the youths <laughs> are going to be really good this year? But I'm curious because you are a, uh, a, well, among many things, you've got the link to the University of Washington, obviously. And right. you keep an eye on Washington State. You've got a pretty good rivalry with Oregon. I don't know if people here understand how intense that can be. And so when you look at all these teams that are either coming off good years, expected to have good years, is there one team you look at and think, 
Uh, it's not that even. This team has really got it going. Well, you know, there, we sit here and prognosticate a lot when mm-hmm. it comes to the start of college football season because you really don't have a lot to work with. Unlike NFL game where you have preseason games, you kind of get an insider look as to what the team might look like or their philosophy on both sides of the ball. College is, is, is all brand new. And, 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 I'm, and I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek because even in the spring games, coaches, because they know they're going to be televised, Coaches don't want to show anything, so they're very vanilla. They're just kind of going through the motion, giving the fans a little bit of excitement to look forward to. So there's a lot of unknown when it comes to predicting and projecting how these teams are going to be. Naturally, you go off of last year's success and the key returners. That's really the only information that you have. With that being said, you know, I think the North is incredibly competitive. And, and as far as the South is, I, I think a lot of people are sleeping on your home team and, and uh, the Utes um, and not getting the amount of respect that they probably deserve when it comes to Pac-12 competition or conference talk. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of unknowns that we still just have to wait and see how these teams play. So, Lincoln, when you were with the University of Washington, they literally were a national power and you were expected to win every game, and you probably thought you were going to win every game. And the Utes, I mean, they're not to the level that Washington was, but they're an emerging, I don't know if I can use the word power, but nevertheless, they're getting all sorts of attention. When you think back to the days that you played and were expected to win, what was the type of feeling amongst the team as you took the field in terms of were you worried about being overconfident? How did you keep the right emotional mental edge as you went on the field when you're supposed to win well our head coach don james may rest in peace was very good at talking up every opponent as though they were bigger than we would ever be it didn't matter who we were playing the week you know oregon state hadn't won many games but he talked about oregon state being in a a caged animal backed into a corner come out and strike you don't want to be embarrassed so we had to get mentally and physically prepared for all those types of games. And we were able to get up. There was never a time where, actually I take that back, maybe in our, my senior year, my last year, um, it was the time when we got a little ahead of ourselves. When the, um, um, the penalties came handed down from the NC2A about the players, we lost some players. We really didn't know how to respond after that. We lost at Arizona. Uh, I think we lost to Wazoo that year. Um, so because now we had the target on our back. The way it goes these days, and of course back then, we were, as a program, we were starving for attention. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we were trying to put West Coast, especially Pacific West, uh, Pacific Northwest football on the map. So we were trying to get recognition. We went out and beat the teams that we needed to beat to get recognition. We, you know, played well in the Rose Bowls and, um, uh, you know, beat Nebraska two years in a row, stuff like that, to get recognition. These days, with the kids and the way everything is there, sometimes you don't want that attention. And you want to travel under the radar. And that's why I think Utah is in a very good spot. Not only bringing back Zach Moss, who I would have the highest expectations of as a running back, but they bring back a pretty good team. And if they stick with what they, what they know to do, which is play defense, run the ball, they're really going to be a strong team. More importantly, it's just how can they start fast? Because we've seen several times this team, this team over the years not starting fast, still finding a way to win, but not starting fast or getting in consistent rhythm. Well, they were 0-2 in conference last year, so that's certainly uh, fresh in the minds of, uh, of Ute fans. I guess the most recent news is that Washington State 
has picked a quarterback, and they're not going with the grad transfer. They're going with a guy who's been a backup and been in the program, Anthony Gordon. Now, at media days, uh, you know, their coach, Mike Leach, is like, hey, we were 11-2, and and we think we're going to be better. And I think a lot of people have scaled back because they didn't know who the quarterback was going to be. Right. And they scaled expectations back. Now that you know it's Gordon, not that he's played a lot and we've seen him do much, where do, where do they fit in all of this? You always got to be aware of the air raid offense because they can put a lot of points on the board. But you also, the way I look at it is that I take it tongue-in-cheek because I think it's almost like Big 12 football. They assume that no one else is going to play defense. So if you get a team like you saw what Washington was able to do to them in the, in the Apple Cup, and it really wasn't much. You just put a, you, you put a, a, a heavy man's a zone combination in the middle of the field and really only rushed three most of the time. It really left the air raid offense on its heels and couldn't really get into a rhythm. So I think when you stem back to what you saw last year, it's going to have to be a wait-and-see game now. Wazoo is going to put points on the board, and Wazoo is definitely going to uh, throw the ball around. But it's just a matter when it comes down to that later in the season when West it gets bad, does that system still work as productive as it does in the early part of the season? So from a coacher, a coach and a player's perspective, from looking at Utah, how much do you like playing the rivalry game or maybe don't like playing the rivalry game with BYU in the first game? I don't like it in the first game. It, there's there's too much at stake. It's It really is because you don't know what type of product you're going to have when you get out there and play against other people. And there's, it's really a whole lot of intensity for kids that take it personally, living in the state or the bragging rights, however you want to name it. This is a big game. Um, you know, fortunately for Utah in the past history, even though they haven't started well against BYU, they found a way to win. And I think that, that goes as good for building confidence. But it's, very, it's a very risky game because you and I both know these days when it comes to college football, you know, one loss, um, you're not necessarily out of it, but it does, it does deter a lot of voters from staying with you uh, if you don't come out and stay uh, and, and win those games and, you know, just keep winning. Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Network analyst, joining us here. You know, over the years, you've taken us inside the uh, USC football program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had a personal tie with your son playing there and then covering yeah. the conference and knowing people and hearing stuff, you know, <laughs> that, that rattles around. You know, Clay Hilton went 10-3 and and went to the Rose. He went 11-3 and and went to the Cotton. That probably sounds pretty good to people here, but there's a portion of the USC fan base, maybe a sizable portion, who was probably pretty upset with the three losses, even though they were in the Rose and Cotton Bowls. What do you expect out of them? Is he his body language and energy level the Pac-12 media days wasn't great? Is it dead man walking there? Is there a chance to make it through these first six games and and have a chance to play for something big? Well, the rumors are swirling around that Urban Meyer is on deck to take this job, guys. And when you have somebody of that magnitude just in the shadows, being in Los Angeles, going to be working for Fox Sports as a commentator, uh, a studio analyst. You know, that, that could work against you. Now, you're right. For as much success as Clay has had at SC, he's often referred to and looked consistently at his, his shortcomings, his fails. Well, and, and so if this team does not do well, because you've got to remember, USC is one of those considered in the college football world one of those perennial powerhouses. 
it's held to the same standard as a, a Notre Dame, a Texas, uh, you know, uh, and, and some of those other, you know, highly ranked independents that had, you know, great history. Um, and it's and then for the most part, USC for the longest time has kind of defined the Pac-12 conference as a whole. People from around the country, when they talk about the Pac-12, they always refer to SC, SC, SC. When does it get down? I mean, when does it get back to where it was? And so that's what the standard that everyone holds um, uh, SC to. And they just haven't been there. They haven't been as dominant as people have expected them to be. So you got to kind of get back to that tradition. And I think there's a lot of alumni and a lot of regents and a lot of powerful people in this program that want to get back to that. And they're looking for that headline, that big stopper headline. So uh, even when before Clay got the job, there were so many things swirling around. You know, Jack Del Rio, I mean, and, you know, Jeff Fisher, all these other big names. Urban Meyer's no different. So there's there's rumors circulating that um, Urban's there to take either the SC job, or you know, there's even some rumors saying they'll take the UCLA job because uh, uh, because uh, Chip Kelly is going to go to bigger, better things uh, in a, in a few years. Talk about Washington here for a second. We call them the Huskies. You always call them your dogs with a W. (laughs) You know, they have been really good under Chris Peterson. They got a pretty good rebuilding job on hand this year. They got a quarterback who's a transfer. The backup then leaves after Chris Peterson basically guaranteed him playing time to one extent or another. And they're supposedly, you know, I think it's a little misleading to replace nine starters on defense because there's some guys who got some experience. But nevertheless, less they did lose a lot but i don't really see uh, in terms of expectation a drop off what's going on there well because you've been able to do it to turn the page for so long um you know jake browning being a long time stand in at quarterback and now making another change to eason as you mentioned the people are wondering what's the next step for this program well from everything i've heard that eason is, is uh, has a stronger arm and he's going to be good especially in this system but I was wondering if he's surrounded by enough skill players. We'll have to see. But one thing that Coach Pete has done is he's been able to turn the page. And the next man up has been as successful, if not more, than the ones before. And I think that's one thing that uh, UW alumni like myself you know, seem to take solitude in. More importantly, when you watch this team, you know that they've got a big target on their back. But even this year, you know, it's it's not so much to focus on them as people are talking about Oregon uh, and, and their possibility of being up. Um, to me, the Pac-12 is the most competitive conference in, in the country from top to bottom. I think that any team on any given weekend can beat another. And you can't say that about every conference. I mean, of course, they go out and play, but then it's pretty much dominant and top-heavy in a lot of the conferences like the SEC and the Big Ten and the ACC, for that matter. Um, the, the only way that Pac-12 is going to get national prominence is if they win their non-conference games against, uh, in, in, against you know, worthy opponents, and more importantly, when they get in the bowl games, find a way to win. And for the last couple of years, that has not happened. So Oregon has not been to the Pac-12 title game in the last four seasons. Even the fifth-year seniors on that roster uh, have not had that experience. And one of those big games you're talking about is Auburn in the opener. Is mm-hmm. Oregon, after multiple coaching changes, back to what they were, or are they not there yet? 
there are a lot of people expecting them to give uh, to beat Auburn, um, and I would love to see it happen. I'm not going to say I expect it because it hasn't it hasn't happened for any of these Pac-12 teams taking on SEC opponents. Um, but uh, the thing is that Oregon has a good quarterback in Herbert, and they've got a good offensive line, and they've got a fairly decent running game behind, especially this offensive line. So they've got a chance. Uh, and this is this is again this is important for a number of reasons. It's especially important for the guys in your your backyard, the Utes. Because the thing is, is that whoever wins the Pac-12, if they if the Pac-12 has a strong enough, in my opinion, has a strong enough non-conference outing, say Oregon beats Auburn and stuff like that, that gives them recognition, then the Pac-12 championship is worth something. And and until we increase the amount of playoff teams, uh, and I do believe conference championships are worth something. I don't care who they are or where they are, they should be worthy of playing for a national championship. If if Utah was to win the or win the uh, the conference and Oregon say didn't win that game or didn't have a good non-conference record, Pac-12 champions likely not to get into playoffs. And I don't think that's right, but it is the way it is. So this game is important for the entire conference, not just Oregon. Yeah, I totally agree there. Somebody in each division, especially in the South, where it seems like there's so much mediocrity, somebody is going to do better than expected. Who would yeah. you guess that would be? Uh, I think a lot of people – well, UCLA is going to be better. Um, I think USC has a chance just because of the, the roster talent that they have. Um, if they find a way to put it together, I think USC can be there. And, of course, I think there's a surprise. And no one's really you know, talking about ASU. Now, Herm Edwards did a marvelous job. His staff did a marvelous job um, with the team last year. And really surpassed expectations. And I think it might be much of the same this year. But, again, when you're starting a new quarterback, there's a lot of things that are unknown. So there are a lot of dark horses, uh, especially in the South. I, I think uh, Colorado with its run game can be good if they, if they keep it consistent. If you get back to basic football, to me, I don't care with all the fair, you know, flaring glitz that's going around the country with these high-powered offenses. Me, basic football still wins. Run the ball and play defense. And, and when you have teams that are able to do that, I think teams, teams have a little bit long, more longevity, especially when the weather gets bad. So uh, if you get back to the basics, I think you can be successful. Lincoln Kennedy joins us, Pac-12 Networks analyst, Oakland Raider radio analyst. Uh, before we let you go, I do have one pro question. What the heck happened up in Winnipeg? Holes in the field because the goal line, the goal posts are at the front yeah. of the end zone. No one knew that the goal posts were at the front of the end zone. And they need a plan to fill the holes. What? No, no, what the they, heck they happened knew. Up there? They, yeah. Well, what it came down to is that the field was not in uh, adequate condition by the time the players were warming up. Now, when the game started, the field was in adequate condition. Uh, for those who don't know Canadian football, their, their goalpost is in the front of their, off, uh, front of their end zone, uh, and, and the NFL is in the back of the outside of the end zone. So there was a large divot that had a it's, an, it's a sports turf field. So it was it was it was carpet that was over where the old goalposts normally go. But um, it wasn't pushed down by the time warm-ups came. So the Packers medical staff were a little afraid that if their players and somebody might get hurt. So they chose, they didn't really want to play the game. The Raiders had to talk them into playing the game on a shortened field. So it just became a glorified scrimmage. It was a mess. It was, no doubt it was a mess. Weird stuff right there. All right, yeah. Lincoln. Well, the uh, the opening season is upon us. And uh, you don't, you don't want to pick the uh, Oregon-Auburn game? Even with no. Auburn starting a oh, true no, freshman? No, not yet. 
I, and, and look, in spite of my, for my love for the Pac-12, I still hate the Ducks, so it's hard for me to, 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 to look past that. All right. All right. Well, we appreciate it, Lincoln. Thanks for a few minutes and look forward to talking hey, to you over the course of the season. All right. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you guys soon. There is Lincoln Kennedy from the Pac-12 Network, and he also on the radio broadcast for the Oakland, soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders. Personally, I think they ought to just drop Oakland Las Vegas and just be the Raiders. That's it. They played in too many cities. They move around. It doesn't matter. Just be the Raiders. You wear the silver and black. We know who you are. All right. Uh, oh, another reminder. Uh, if you missed any of the interviews, if you missed Chris Camrani earlier this morning, uh, coming up later today, we're going to be talking with uh, Riley Nelson, a former BYU quarterback, now on the BYU broadcasts. He's going to be on at uh, 7.30. Riley Jensen, our football insider, the former Aggie, at 8.05. If you miss any of this, it's all available. You can download it at 1280thezone.com. You can also listen wherever you get podcasts. Uh, Stitcher. You can get us there, iTunes, Google Play, whatever. Uh, wherever you find, find the podcast, you'll find us, DJ and PK. Check it out. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? Stay with us.